So I think at the, you know, the early days of the museum, it was very much about, um, you know, and understandably coming, you know, being opened soon after 9-11 and all the, you know, effects of, of those events, the vilification of Arabs and Muslims, um, the stereotypes around, um, you know, Arabs as terrorists. There was a compulsion to educate, you know, um, Arabs and non-Arabs about who this community was, what their history was. Um, we've matured a lot, I think, in the last sort of, you know, almost 20 years. And there's a lot of interest about, um, you know, the Arab, the diversity and the variety um, that exists in Arab American culture. We're trying to sort of, as much as we can now, focus on the richness and the diversity of the Arab American experience and Arab American culture. Welcome to a new episode of Community in Arabic with me, Anwar and Malik. Uh, we're, we're thrilled today to have Diana Abu Ali. Diana is a, a Palestinian Canadian and currently uh, the director of the Arab American National Museum in, in Dearborn, Michigan. Um, uh, thank you for being with us, Diana. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here with you. Yeah, we're excited. So Diana, you, you were born in Canada and then you went back to the Middle East to Kuwait. Um, so you have kind of like sort of, you've had an experience here and, and back in the Middle East. Tell us a little bit more about your background. Sure. Um, so I'm Palestinian, as you said. Uh, I was born in Toronto, Canada. My parents, um, they um, are from, my father's from Nablus in Palestine. My mother's from Gaza. And they met in Kuwait in the 60s. So as you know, a lot of, you know, Palestinians uh, were working in the Gulf, in the Arab Gulf region. Um, and so they met there, they married, and then they immigrated in the late 60s. Um, my father was an accountant. Uh, he wanted, um, I think, partly to get citizenship, um, you know, thinking of the future. And, um, you know, he was able to, when we were living in Toronto, actually get a CPA in New York City. So. In 1978, um, uh, for various reasons, I don't know, um, he's no longer with us, so I can't confirm. Um, we decided to, or they decided to move uh, back to Kuwait, where we had a lot of family, especially my father's side of the family was there. And I lived in Kuwait until I finished high school in 1989. And then I came to the U.S. for college. Mm -hmm. Okay. Dan, how was it like uh, growing up uh in that atmosphere of uh, being part of an immigrant family, uh, moved to multiple locations. How did that inspire you to pursue your career? So um, I think, you know, I lived in Canada in the 70s, and I think the immigrant experience in the 70s is a lot different than now. Um, there weren't many, um, you know, Arabs, even Palestinians in Canada at the time. Um, but I was very conscious of the fact and made very conscious of the fact that I'm Palestinian. Um, I mean, I didn't even know I was, my parents were very secular, uh, they're Muslim. I didn't even know I was a Muslim or what Islam was until I moved to Kuwait and had to go to religion classes in school. But I was very aware that I was, I was a Palestinian. Um, but because I, I think, you know, um, was a very, you know, I was seven years old, you're aware as a child and um, I also felt very Canadian. I remember this and moving to Kuwait was quite, was actually quite difficult for me to adjust. Um, but eventually, you know, it, it was fine. And I, you know, acculturated and everything, but I always felt, and I think this is common for everybody who grows up in between different cultures. You never feel at home. 
mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in one place. But the um, the other side of that is that you can acclimate very easily to different um, different situations, different environments, and different cultures. So I think um, the fact that I had that sort of shift early on, even though I didn't take it, <laughs> I didn't do it very well. Um, eventually, and by virtue of you know the way life unfolded for my family, we were there, you know, in in Kuwait and and um, during the Iraqi invasion. Um, you know, just constant relocation and me moving around for school and studies and research and and work um, really made me kind of uh, um, very much aware of who I am, but also that, uh, you know, there's so much more to learn um, about things outside of your culture. Mm-hmm. But... Um, but I grew up very much, you know, knowing that I was Palestinian and that I was I was Arab for sure. Mm-hmm. So th- that influenced your your desire to work in sort of a cultural institution, or did that come about differently? No. What well, what happened is I um, I came to college. Well, I grew growing up in Kuwait. I went to an American school in Kuwait, and in those days, I don't know how it is now. Um, we were not allowed to learn about. Arab history in the history curriculum. So the only way I could learn about my culture, say as an Arab or as a Muslim was in Arabic class. Um, And I took Arabic for a long time as a, as a foreign, you know, as a foreign language. And and later in high school, I was shifted into um, Arabic for native speakers, which is, you know, we took the the university, the, uh, sorry, uh, ministry curriculum. And so we learned about, you know, the poetry and, you know, through poetry and through literature, I was able to learn about the history of, you know, Arabs and Mm -hmm. Arab civilization, Islamic civilization. But I never learned it as a kind of curriculum itself. So when I got to college in the U.S., I was very interested in learning about, um, and I was surprised actually that you could take a class on Islamic art or (laughs) Middle Eastern history because it was just, it was not presented to us, us in that way. So I in a way, I was very sort of sheltered in Kuwait, but also came to the U.S. and became very curious about it. And um, I was also, you know, I, I um, you know, I was I came to college when I was 18 in, in 1989. And those were the days of the the first Intifada. And even though I, obviously I wasn't there and participating, but it was a very um, monumental event uh, for my generation, at least. And um, it made me very curious about um you know Palestinian history and, and and politics and that made me think about you know how our history as Palestinians is very much politicized and tied to you know Zionism and Jewish immigration and I became more curious about well what was Palestine like before Jewish immigration what was like Palestine like before Zionism mm-hmm. um you know and, and and in those days there was still the kind of um, spiel that you know this was a land without a people for a people without a land and obviously every Palestinian knows that's not just not true um, and uh, so it became um, a sort of um, intellectual you know journey for me to learn more about what was Palestine like you know before the um, politicization of that land in the way that it, it became so that's how I came into studying Middle East and Middle Eastern history um, um, my my sort of foray into museum work and cultural heritage work and the you know art sectors is is a sort of that came much later. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't plan to be a museum director ever in my life until 
about 2012. Okay. So Dana, tell us a little bit about your, your, your career, your career journey and going back from academia back to Palestine and then, and then back here. Yeah. Um, so I, um, I majored in, in history and economics in college and I went to graduate school to, um, study, um, the history of Palestine before, you know, before 1948. That's, as I mentioned, that was really something I was interested in knowing about, mm -hmm. you know, the culture, the community, um, the society that was in Palestine before it became as politicized as it is now. Um, so I went to, I got my PhD um, from Harvard in 2004, and I, I worked on um, social history of Jerusalem in the 17th century. I looked at family history. Like the question was, can you write a history of family um, using the sources that we have, which mm -hmm. are not as, for instance, as abundant as in Europe or, or the United States, um, North America. So um, I was, you know, lucky to get a job at Dartmouth College. I taught Middle East studies there for about eight years, and um, but eventually realized that you know it just wasn't wasn't the place for me. And I think academia, uh, as wonderful as it is. Um, it just wasn't um, honestly fulfilling for me. Um, there was something missing and I felt like, you know, life's too short. It's time for a career change. It's time to do something different and try to find fulfillment um, elsewhere. So I felt I owed that to myself. And um, I was tenure track and I sort of told um, the college I would be leaving before going up for tenure. But as I was transitioning out, this job opened in Palestine at a new museum called the Palestinian Museum uh, that was founded by Ta'awun, which is the largest Palestinian NGO uh, working in, in, in Palestine, in the occupied territory, in the 48 areas and in Lebanon. Um, and I and I applied and I got this the job as head of research and collections, not knowing anything about museums. But I think my 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 background as a mm -hmm. historian, a researcher, you know, kind of um, uh, was um, interesting and 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 uh, compelling to them. So I, I basically taught myself about museums. I while I was still at Dartmouth, I would go to the to the to the university uh, museum, the Hood, and I shadowed them for a few months. And then I, you know, made my way to Palestine and worked in this in in this building this museum. It wasn't it hadn't even broken ground yet, but I think um, um, kind of taking that risk and trying something new, um, going to a new place I'd never you know lived, I'd never worked in the Middle East, even mm -hmm. though I grew up in Kuwait. Um, going to a new place, you know, um, a new sector, a new career, was very hard, but uh, I think um, really really rewarding and. Um, you know, if you had asked me 15 years ago, would I be in a museum? And I would have been no way. <laughs> there would be no, I had no, no thoughts of going into museums until that job, you know, kind of um, found me or I found it. So um, just to say that, you know, it's, it's, you know, good to take risks sometimes if you can afford it. If you have, you know, I, I was privileged. I'm not married. I don't have kids. It's just me that's sort of um, taking the risk. But it kind of um, trying new things and experiencing new things can be very, very rewarding. From Palestine, I went to Jordan. I don't have a West Bank ID, so I couldn't stay. The visa situation was difficult. I got into cultural heritage work. And um, in 2019, I came to Michigan for uh, the job at the Arab American National Museum. So a kind of circuitous you know, journey, but a very, a very interesting and, and, and rich one, I think. And uh, uh, 
you know, while I was reading your um, uh, your biography, I I, uh, uh, I saw that you worked for a while in Jordan and helped with the uh, uh, Zatari camp, and uh, you did some programs there. Would uh, would love to learn more about that. Yeah. So when I was um, I left, uh, I, I was in Jordan for a few years um, before I came uh, to Michigan for the job uh, at the Arab American National Museum. And um, I w was working, uh, handling a sort of research program um, uh, for uh, a center called Tiraz, which is um, run by um, Widat Qawar and her, her family. And Widat Qawar is a um, very famous collector of Palestinian uh, dress, traditional dress, mm -hmm. but has, you know, over the years branched out into uh, collecting traditional clothes from various regions in the Middle East. Um, so um, we were um, working with other organizations to um, teach Syrian women and also Syrian kids about their heritage using the knowledge that, you know, was uh, gained from the from the collection that Widat Qawar had, including a lot of Syrian dress and Syrian embroidery. Um, we were able to work with um, some kids in Zatari camp and also Ezra um, to kind of just, you know, sort of give them uh, an opportunity to learn something about their culture. I don't, you know, some children had been born, you know, were, were left Syria. They were very young, had been in, in Jordan for a few years. Um, but we also worked with women um, in, in the Zatari camp and, um, you know, developed a program where we could teach them a bit, not just about their heritage and um, uh, the sort of history of embroidery of, of, of their, you know, different regions in Syria, but also about color theory and how to sort of create their own sort of designs. And that was a really wonderful experience because I think the women um, took those workshops as a kind of respite from <laughs> the daily, you know, um, you know, burdens struggle, struggle, of life yeah. in a refugee camp. And it was a very bonding experience for them and also for me and my colleague who were leading the workshops, um, it was very, I think, rewarding and 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 powerful. Well, that, that sounds great. So, and then you moved back to the U.S. to take your role as the director of the American National Museum. Tell us a little bit about the museum, the vision and the mission of the museum. So the museum, um, it was founded in 2005. We're located in Dearborn, Michigan, which um, is uh, the sort of Dearborn is in um, the part of Michigan that has the highest concentration of Arabs in the United States. Um, we're part of a larger organization called ACCESS, uh, which was founded in 1971. And it's a health and human services agency and it provides employment and a lot of other services. Um, and um, we were um, part of a, there was a cultural arts program in the 80s and 90s and eventually the museum sort of grew out of that. So for, um, the, 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 the museum functions as a place where, um, you know, we document, preserve and present the history, culture and contributions of Arab Americans. Mm -hmm. um, right now, our mission is to serve as a touchstone for communities to um, connect um, through Arab culture and, and Arab American experiences. So we're, you know, we want the museum to be a place where, yes, you can learn about different aspects of Arab American history and culture, but it's really a place where you can um, learn different things and and do with it what you you need to do and, and inspire you in different ways. Mm -hmm. So I think at the you know the early days of the museum it was very much about um, you know and understandably coming you know 
being open soon after 9-11 and all the you know effects of, of those events, the vilification of Arabs and Muslims, um, the stereotypes around um, you know, Arabs as terrorists, there was a compulsion to educate, you know, um, Arabs and non-Arabs about who this community was, what mm-hmm. their history was. Um, we've matured a lot, I think, in the last sort of, you know, almost 20 years. And there's a lot of interest about, um, you know, the Arab, the diversity and the variety um, that exists in Arab American culture, because, you know, you know, we do represent, we try to be as comprehensive as we can. Mm-hmm. And we re- obviously represent, you know, people who come from 22 different countries, you know, th- you know, theoretically. And, and this is a region in the world that spans, you know, two continents, as you know, it's, it's a very rich and diverse um, place. So there's a lot of, we're, we're trying to sort of, as much as we can now focus on the richness and the diversity of the Arab American experience and Arab American culture. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. And, and, uh, you know, since, since 2011 and the, the Arab Spring, there was a big influx of immigrants uh, to the U.S., especially from Syria, Egypt. Uh, walk us more in how uh, you're, you're planning to, to integrate and uh, help, uh, culturally speaking, help uh, the newcomers uh, integrate with these new communities. And uh, if you have any uh, programs or plans in mind to, uh, to help them do, the, do so. So um, we tried as much. Um, so one of the ways we arguably we could do that is is through you know the exhibits. Um, we have a core you know core galleries or core permanent exhibits that tell the history of Arab immigration to the United States and acculturation in the United States. And we also highlight um, sort of important and impactful Arab Americans you know from the twentieth and even the twenty first century. Mm-hmm. So. Um, that's one way in which we do it, but we, because our exhibits have not been exactly updated as much as we would have liked since the opening of the museum, the way in which we get around that is, is to, I mean, in, around that in terms of sort of um, representing the, 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 the new demographic face of Arab Americans, which, as you said, includes new immigrants from Syria, but also, you know, from Iraq and from Yemen as well. Um, we really uh, make a point um, to have have that representation in our programming mm-hmm. and our public programming. Um, so for instance, events, music, you know, performances, musical performances, uh, book events, workshops. Um, and we have an artist in residence program. We really try hard to bring in, um, you know, artists from those countries that may not be as represented um, in the uh, in the exhibits mm-hmm. to show sort of all this sort of cultural you know, the cultural diversity of, of the community. Um, I will say we don't do a good job of, um, for instance, we, and this is something that I'm very keen on working on in the next few years, is really increasing the bilingual content in the museum. Mm-hmm. So it's very heavy in, on English. There's very little Arabic in the in the exhibits. Um, our programming is not Arabic, you know, heavy at all by any means. We sometimes do bilingual for instance, story time for children. Um, uh, we have had in the in recent um, the past year some bilingual, for instance, performances, whether it's poetry or a play. But um, we are not, and I and I and this is something that we really need to work on. We're not so good about, I think, making sure that new immigrants to the United States, mm-hmm. whose first language and strongest language is Arabic, 
feel as welcome as they should be in the museum. And this is something, like I said, this is a priority for us moving forward in the next few years. Mm -hmm. Do you see the museum catering mainly to, to Arabs or Arab Americans or also to Americans that want to learn about the Arabic culture? I think both. I think, um, you know, it's, it's really um, a place for... Um, we, we see ourselves as stewards of Arab American heritage. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we have an archive, a uh, community archive that's arguably the largest and, and definitely the most comprehensive archive of historical artifacts and documents related to the Arab American community in the country. Mm -hmm. um, so we are very keen on ensuring that, you know, Arabs who, you know, Arab Americans know that there is a place that um, values uh, their heritage and their history, and we preserve it, and we try to share it with everyone and, and use it to tell the story um, of the community in their own words. Mm -hmm. um, but we also serve as an educational, um, we have an educational mission to uh, teach Arabs themselves about their community because you know a lot of a lot of you know people don't know that, for instance, Arabs have been coming to the United States since the late 19th century. Um, but also to teach non-Arabs about the contributions of the Arab community um, and by virtue of other immigrant communities, um, their contributions and the way that, that what they did to sort of help build this nation. Mm -hmm. um, so, and it's it's a way to sort of also bridge, um, provide a bridge for different communities to come together and find common ground. Mm -hmm. So so we, we, we sort of, um, it's a two-pronged mission in a way, but I think given the sort of the, the, I think the maturity of the museum, the staff, there's a lot of interest of an in intercommunal sort of dialogue and exchange, mm -hmm. learning about, you know, the different communities in the United States, um, learning about how, for instance, the Sudanese American community is different than um, a Palestinian American, but looking at how the, you know, culture, you know, artists from these communities, what are they producing? What are they talking about? How do they see themselves? What is what are issues of identity um, that come to them? There's sort of more more curiosity in that regard, and I think that's something that we're sort of th working and thinking about, mostly in terms of our programs. Mm -hmm. That's great. Actually, I meant to mention. You know, it's interesting you say that. You know, part of the role is to educate Arabs about their own culture, about the the the, the contribution of Arab Americans to the United States. Because when we started the podcast we wanted to do kind of like a little promo about the history of Arab immigration. And we had a really hard time finding information. Information was lacking, it was incomplete, um, and it was kind of like inconsistent. So it's like, are we, are we finding the most credible information? We wondered like, who's actually, is there any cultural institution or any institution that's working on documenting the history of Arab immigration and the contribution of Arabs to, um, to this country? Because like you said, I mean, we've been here for more than a century, and there's a lot of Arabs that contributed big time for, for this country. So, so the question I meant to ask you here is, you know, when you talk about having diverse voices of, of Arabs, you know, you have, you know, different subcultures of Arabs, and also you have the different, you know, you know sects and religions and ideologies, on whether it's like political or, or cultural. So, you know, you know, if you can walk us through the, the, the challenge of trying to represent such a massive and diverse pool of people, it's an impossible task. <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off. No, no. I'm, I mean, I'm, uh, it's, it's kind of like an open-ended question of like, how do you guys approach it? Because I know it's like you said, it's an impossible task. But how do you approach it when you, when you plan for, for programming or, or initiatives to say, okay, I want to be, I want to cater to people of, of all these different subcultures and ideologies there? 
or do you get pushback even on some programming from people who see the the culture differently than what you are presenting um yeah so it's this is um it's a great question um it's a very like I mean I was joking but not really it's it's almost an impossible task to sort of you know be a museum or an institution that represents uh, a community that's um as diverse as ours so it's it's very hard to please everybody I think it's you know um we do our best to be as um I'd say representative as possible um but you're always fighting an uphill battle, I think, because um, not only do you, um, you know, you to be an Arab American, you have to not only buy into this idea of being an Arab, um, but you have to buy into being an Arab American necessarily, mm -hmm. right? So what we try to do is include people in the museum, whether it's their stories or, you know, their, you know, aspects of their of, of their culture or um whether they're individuals that we find inspirational um they have to see themselves first and foremost as arab and arab american if they don't and there are many people we would consider you know you and i might consider an arab that don't see themselves as arab so mm -hmm. identity politics is something we're constantly dealing with and it's shifting right um but it's really it, it's it's a very difficult um you know, sort of, uh, sort of, you're on this tightrope all the time, and um, what we try to do is um, we're we're very conscious of finding, uh, for instance, let's say artists who are doing things that are not sort of um, uh, kind of typically traditionally Arab. We want some, we look for artists who are sort of taking the Arab heritage or the Arab American identity and doing and, and, and sort of interpreting it or, um, you know, doing something interesting with it in a very novel way. Um, and I think we try to sort of also move away from, you know, it's very heavily Levantine, you know, Badad Sham, they are the original community very much, you know, it's, it's the Syrian, Lebanese, Palestinian, who came and the Yemenis also came very early on as well. But the museum is very heavy on, let's say, the Syrian, you know, general, you know, sort of led sham uh, community. We're very conscious of um, trying to um, integrate non, you know, Levantines into the museum one way or another. Um, but it's a it's a very conscious choice to do that. And I think um, one of the ways that we need to be better at doing that is sort of engaging very closely and directly with the different communities in the United States, which mm -hmm. is something I think we also need to work more on. So reaching out to the Egyptian communities in, in various parts of the US, reaching out to the Sudanese community, reaching out to the North, you know, Moroccan community and understanding what, you know, what their experience has been. Um, how, is the, how, are, how are those experiences shared? How are they different than the others? Um, but it's 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 hard. I mean, also there's also the religious component. I mean, many people <laughs> think we're too Muslim. Many people think we're too Christian. Um, and uh, so, you know, it's it's always a sort of a balancing act that you just kind of have to say, I I can't please everybody all the time, but I can only do my best and to stay curious and open and um, uh, really sort of 
keep your eye on, you know, what younger generations, the younger generation of Arab Americans are doing and thinking. Because I think, you know, that's the direction that the museum is going in, I think, because, you know, we want to be there for future generations and we need to be sort of aware of what they, you know, identify as, as their culture and what values they have. Mm -hmm. Dana, I'm really, really curious, curious to, to know, about know about your, your thoughts, thoughts about, about the religion, religion aspect, aspect and the uh, politics aspect. aspect. Um, you know, yeah, when we start, we start our, our, our uh, platform, platform and podcast, podcast uh, uh, we, we decided, decided to... to to put aside put arguably the top two divisive topics in the Arab, Arab world, which are the 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 religion, religion and the politics, politics. Uh, we, we all see, see that we that try, we try to, to come together, together as Arabs in one language, one culture, common culture. But we always have these roadblocks of you know you are from a different religion, different sect. Uh, 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 you support certain, certain politics, you support certain, certain movement in the Arab, Arab world. world. Um, uh, we, we recently met with, uh, uh, with Rani Maali, uh, uh, who's also Palestinian in Chicago. Chicago. He's one, one of the amazing, amazing uh, musicians here. here. And, and um, he, also he also shared his struggle growing up, up that, that he, wanted he wanted something culturally, culturally for Arabs in terms of music, music language, language, theater, theater but, but he also, he also had, had this uh, struggle, struggle that, that it's, always it's always attached, attached to a certain, to a certain uh, religious, religious aspect, aspect or, or uh, uh, for, example, for example churches used to do a lot of a lot of their activity inside, inside the church, the church or mosques, mosques. Uh, so, so uh, how, how are you guys, guys approaching uh, uh, the inclusivity part of the Arabs and, and uh, being, being as inclusive as, as possible? possible I mean we 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 don't sort of, we're very clear that we're a sort of secular organization, even though we do do sort of family parties around the holidays, for instance. Okay. Mm -hmm. We have a Christmas party. We do a party for our Eid every year. Um, but apart from that, and apart, you know, we, we present religion as an aspect of culture. Um, so, you know, many Arabs are, you know, I mean, like any other, <laughs> any other community, you know, can be religious, observe religious rituals, whether they're Christian, whether they're Muslim, whether they're Jewish, whether they're, you know, various sects within, you know, each kind of, um, each faith. Um, I don't think you can, I mean, we try to sort of, yes, we try to kind of um, underline the the shared values or the shared culture, what bi what what binds us rather than what divides us. But we're also very clear that the Arab American community is a big family, right? And like any family, you have members that are different than other members. And that their difference doesn't necessarily mean it's a point of contention or it's a division among us. It just means we're different. Um, and so, for instance, one of the things we did, we have in our in our permanent galleries, we had a, for many years, what we used to call a road movie. It was a movie made in the early 2000s. Um, a woman went around, the filmmaker director, she went around the United States and filmed different Arab American communities, how they lived, you know, their private lives and, you know, family life. 
So this last couple of years ago, we commissioned, uh, we had a competition, we commissioned four filmmakers to make short, you know, four minute films about their individual communities. And um, the idea being that we want to show how, in many ways, how different we are, but in the difference, there's always something relatable, right? And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, the one was by a Yemeni, uh, young Yemeni director, a Sudanese woman, a Lebanese American, um, each looking at some particular aspect of their of their lives and their culture and their you know and and their environment. Um, I think. I mean, I don't know if I'm answering your question, um, but I I think that sort of forcing being very heavy handed about we're, we're you know we're one people we're inclusive we're this um, kind of detracts from the richness and the variety and you can have difference you can have variety you can have um you know these things and still have a shared sort of um you know it can, you can still come together in one in a certain way and 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 you know support one another um so i guess that's what I'm, i don't know if i'm making mm -hmm. myself very clear but it's it's really to celebrate the differences um and that's okay it doesn't have to be one form of Arab culture, one form of Arabness, one dialect, mm -hmm. one history. Um, and I, you know, I really see um, the Arab identity, I do see it as an inclusive identity. And, 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 and since coming to the United States, coming back in 2019 for this job and seeing Arab identity as a kind of exclusive one, that for me was a bit of a, um, it took me a while to sort of come to terms with that. For me, Arabness was also always an inclusive thing because you just have to, speak Arab, you know, if you're, you're an Arab, if you speak Arabic, right. um, it kind of, you know, you know, sort of um, uh, transcended race and ethnicity and religion, right? But now there's a, there's a, there's a sort of, you know, some, some people feel, no, Arab is very exclusive. Um, so I try to, you know, we try to, we try to sort of bring people together under this one roof of the museum um, if they want to be Arab, but also at the same time, understand and be very clear that there is no one definition of Arab. You can be Arab very different than the Arab sitting next to you. So I don't know if that answers your question, but um, um, it's something we grapple with a lot. And it's 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 almost like I said, this is, this is where I mean it's an impossible task in a way to sort of appeal to all 4 million Arabs in the United States, right. arguably. Um, but we, we we just do the best we can by highlighting the, the richness and the diversity of this community. Right. So, Diana, you talked about, you know, reaching out to different communities, Arab communities throughout the country. Do you guys collaborate with any, with any other cultural institutions, whether locally in Michigan or nationally? We work a lot with, for instance, uh, organizations like um, University uh, Musical Society, UMS, at the University of Michigan. Mm -hmm. They're um, the oldest um arts presenters, musical art presenters in the country, um, you know, very well established. Um, so we work a lot with them in terms of bringing, um, you know, sharing resources and uh, bringing, you know, musical acts that for, that might be, you know, kind of very new for their audiences, but and still and also very appreciated by ours. Um, we work with the universities a lot. Um, we um, work with mostly with with sort of regional um, institutions. But we do, for instance, 
we have a online film series. Every month we show a film and that's done in collaboration with two other um, Middle Eastern Arab American uh, organizations, Arab Film and Media Institute in California and Arte East in New York City. Mm-hmm. So um, both of the, both of whom um, they are, they sort of um, specialize in film. Uh, we we don't we have a film festival and but we're not you know we're not we don't specialize in film but we do have a film festival every year and and really have been able to especially during COVID when we shifted all to online programming we were able to bring these um, organizations together and collaborate and present um, a monthly uh, film series that we're still doing now sort of three years later. Okay. I just want to uh, circle back to. Uh, to a comment you mentioned about arguably 4 million Arabs in the U.S. And uh, just, we don't have clear numbers. Uh, the, the census has been uh, a struggle for Arabs for the past decades, uh, that uh, there's no clear representation in the uh, census surveys. Uh, would love to learn more about your thoughts about this issue and if there's any um, uh, any education or any efforts uh, from your end uh, as a museum or or access institute to spread awareness about this issue and advocate to to get that checkbox on the uh, next census? Yeah, the museum doesn't work directly on these initiatives, but um, there is another institution in access called NAC, National Network of Arab American Communities, as well as um, there's a there's a sort of a nascent um, center called the Center for Arab Narratives. It's housed at the museum, but not not the museum exactly. But both of them are working on um, and they're working with the Census Bureau to push the MENA category in the census. Um, and I and I the efforts are very um, uh, sort of heartwarming. I think I, I predict that in the next census there will be a MENA category. Um, it's important because if you're designated as a minority, um, not only will you be able to be counted, but also all these sort of benefits that can go to minorities will come to the to the Arab community. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're right now designated as white. Um, there's serious differences in you know sort of demographic uh, data between the between white communities and Arab communities. And I think um, just understanding and knowing and learning more about um, the Arab community, identifying them as such. Not only will they, for instance, be a bit more funding, but also understanding health, assist, you know, health issues or um, educational issues. I think it can only benefit. We can only benefit from having this MENA category. So um, we don't work. Like I said, we don't work directly on this. We're very much in support of it. But there are other initiatives at Access that are working on very strongly, um, you know, in Washington to get to make sure that uh, the MENA category will be on the next census. So, you know, like I said, meetings and talks with the Census Bureau and the Office of Budget Management to make sure that there is a category. So if you want me to put you in touch with people, I, I definitely can. I think great. this would be a great, a great subject for another podcast um, because it's it's something I think a lot of people are not terribly aware mm-hmm. uh, of the importance of the main category. Some people are also turned off by the Middle East, North Africa label, mm-hmm. which is really a shame. I mean, I think... Um, it's not about identity. It's about just about counting right. people from this region um, and making sure that we have good, solid data about the community. Mm-hmm. Um, if we don't have a category, we're not going to get that data. So um, so I really, yeah, I would encourage you to, I don't know if you have already, but we, I can definitely put you in touch with people at Access 
um, who are, are working on this um, and have and made it a priority. Yeah, I would love to. You know, we, we actually chatted with the uh, director of the Arab American Institute in Michigan uh-huh. um, last year, and we talked about the subject and we talked to multiple people and we're actually working with the mayor's office here in Chicago to make okay. them aware because, I mean, we looked on a business level. We're not classified as a minority. I mean, you know, you can be a Syrian refugee, but still you're not a minority. Or, you know, you can be a wealthy Mexican and you're a minority. And we're like, you know, what's the, the, the issue there? And they were not really aware. There's not a, it was not brought up to them before. And they, they were receptive to hearing about it. I'm not sure that there's yeah. a big enough community or political mm-hmm. will to move on it locally in Chicago. But if it starts nationally, I'm sure it will trickle down to, to, to the big cities that try to be inclusive as much as they can um, yeah. when there's an opportunity to do so. So, so then, what are you excited about in the new year? Any new programs or initiatives that you guys are launching in 2023? You know, we, um, yes, there's a lot going on uh, at the museum. Um, I'm really excited about, um, we are planning to do uh, a rooftop garden this year. So we have a, some years we do themes. Um, so the programming and some of the events revolve around a particular theme. Uh, last year it was futurism. This year it's called cultivating growth. So to see the museum as a kind of, um, you know, a place to, you know, um, to nourish and to nurture uh, talent. Um, But also we're, we're, so we're trying to do a, um, like I said, a rooftop garden um, where we want people who have brought seeds with them from their, their hometowns or home villages um, have brought them over to the United States and continue to plant them and pass the you know the 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 shoots and mm-hmm. and you know share the shoots and the and the the sort of the produce with families so they're like kind of like heirloom seeds um, and you find this in all immigrant communities um, but what we want to do is sort of have people donate some of the seeds uh, or plants or cuttings grow them but also interview them create these sort of oral history interviews around the the plants that they've brought with them um, what are the stories and really make it a kind of living exhibit. Um, so um, to do, and also do programming around kind of gardening and the importance of, you know, food, uh, planting, gardening, and the sort of immigrant experience and specifically the Arab immigrant experience. So um, I'm really looking forward to that. It's it's a, it's a lot <laughs> for us um, uh, to do. We've never done something like that before, but um, that's what sort of, I think is exciting about working in a museum. There's never really routine. Um, that might be a bad thing because it can be very exhausting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's always new things right. happening, um, but that's something that I'm looking forward to. Also in September, we will do our, hopefully inshallah, our second rendition of Jema. This is a, uh, musical festival that we do, music and arts. Um, last year, 2021, sorry, we did it um, online, four, four days uh, online uh, musical festival. And this year, um, hopefully we're going to do it just two days, but it's going to be in person and online as well. So um, we're looking forward to that. Dan, how can we and our community help out with, with your activity and programs? Become members of the muse- of the museum. It's a great way to just um, you know support us, learn about what we're doing. A lot of our programming still remains online. Um, uh, that's been you know the 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 you know COVID was very hard on everybody and especially the museum. But the the one benefit or one you know one of the benefits we got out of it, um, surprisingly, was that we were able to really uh, ramp up our online programming and reach you know thousands of, of, of new audiences, Arabs all around. Like we really became a national museum 
um, during COVID because we were just connecting with, with our national community and also internationally as well. So becoming a member, learning about our events, you know, signing up for the, for the email blast is really a great way to support us. Um, also understanding that, you know, we do have a, um, like I said, a, a community archive. We have a very, um, you know, rich archive of historical documents and artifacts. Um, if you have family photos, if you have things that you just don't know what to do with, or you're like, you know, we can help you preserve them. We don't need them per se, but we would like to have a copy. Um, reach out to us. We can sort of um, teach you how to preserve things um, and, and sort of, um, you know, but also possibly get um, copies that can enrich the archive, the digital, the database, and that can be a boon to, you know, our researchers and scholars who want to study um, the, the, the community. Um, so yeah, those are ways in which, um, you know, people who don't necessarily live in Detroit or, you know, are within, you know, visiting distance can, can support the museum. And just tell your friends about it. It's really, you know, we're a Smithsonian affiliate, we're accredited by the American Alliance of Museums. Um, we sort of, these are hallmarks of uh, museum excellence. So I think it's also an institution to be proud of. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have dedicated staff that, you know, work day in, day out to sort of preserve and share, um, you know, the accomplishments, the the culture, the history of, of our community. Amazing. All right, you guys are doing incredible work and we will make sure to support it and spread the word as much as, as, as Thank we you can. very much. So just uh, in, in closing, a quick fire round for you, just about you, Diana. What inspires you day in and day out? Oh, uh, these questions are really <laughs> What inspires me? You know, I think I think my staff inspire me. They they um they drive me crazy, but I think they they really um you know they're very creative and innovative, and um I try to keep up with them. But they I think they they inspire me to to sort of you know um, do my best and show up every day. Okay, and what is the the best and the worst moment in in your you know recent career with the Arab American National Museum? Um, my worst moment was, I would have to say, um, April 2020, when I had to lay off a lot of staff because of COVID and we were expecting serious mm -hmm. losses. And it just was, you know, a financially responsible thing to do. Unfortunately, uh, it was a very, very, very hard decision. Um, and that was probably really, yeah, the worst day of my life. Um, the best day, there have been really good, some very great days. I don't know if I have a... a you know, one best day, but it's it's just, you know, um, learning something new, finding something in the archive or, you know, attending a performance that's really sublime and, you know, sort of takes you out of your, um, you know, sort of, it, it just, you know, takes you somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So I think those are the, the, the good days for me. Diana, what's your, what's your advice to young Arabs and Arab Americans that you know whether they want to switch jobs or they're still searching for their passion what's your advice to them in terms of taking the leap or just to stay conservative what, what would you recommend just to understand that every um you know i first of all to to know that the ability to, to switch careers in the way i did it, I, i'm very privileged to be able to do so i understand a lot of people cannot afford that kind of you know change mm -hmm. um but if you can i think just um being you know it's a, it's a scary thing change is is wonderful but it's also scary but being brave and going for the change and taking a risk even if it's a complete ends up being a complete failure 
just knowing that there's always something you can learn from um, trying something new. Uh, you know, just keeping, you know, keeping your mind open, staying curious, um, meeting new people, learning new things. Um, there's always something that you can learn and grow from when 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 taking on a risk and doing something different. Um, you know, um, it's just I, I, I you know, I, I worry about, you know, young people who just stay in the same place and don't kind of branch out don't are not curious about the world um i just you know encourage them to, just to it's okay to fail we all fail <laughs> you don't learn unless you fail and i think that's something um that you have to sort of embrace failure um knowing that that's the only way that you could learn and become you know stronger or you know better at whatever you want to do and probably, probably the feeling, the feeling of, regret of regret is way, way worse, worse than, than the feeling, feeling of, of failure. failure absolutely yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's the, the main, main motivation. Uh, that, uh, you know, I don't want to regret, like when I'm 70 or, or 80 years old, I don't want to look back and regret because there's n nothing I can do uh, about it. But, uh, but if I fail now, I can still uh, bounce back. Get back on track, yeah. Yeah, and I think the next time you take a risk, the failure might be softer, right? And then you just you get better and you're, you're just more wiser, I think as well. But yeah, regret, you don't want to live with too many regrets. Definitely. And you're all, I mean, you're always going to have regrets. Right. <laughs> you can't do everything <laughs> yes. you want to do, but Agree. I think um, being afraid of change is, is something that, you know, um, I really caution people um, against and really trying to fight that, that fear, if they have that fear. And I always, and I used to be very afraid of change. So it, this is a new, like, this is something I had to learn over the years. Um, but that's, I think that's what I would, yeah. Great. Well, you know, we really enjoyed the conversation. You know, we'd love to keep it going. I would love to come and visit you guys in person Please sometime come. soon. Yeah, anytime. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love, we'd love to meet you. I would love to tour the museum sometime soon. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you. And Thanks keep the for having me. Going. And your interest in the museum. Oh, thank you. Thank absolutely. You.